Love the Black Crows, but I wouldn't say it's going to be um, historic music we listen to for the rest of time. Sarah, what is the best piece of music in your mind ever written? If you're talking about classical music, I like anything by Vivaldi. Uh-huh. I think he's probably the best classical artist that I've ever heard. Yeah, sure. But then if you're talking like pop music, I like Jackie and Wilson by Hosier. That's my that's the best song ever. Do you think Jacqueline Wilson by Hoosier is something we're going to be listening to, or not us, obviously, but uh, kids 100 years. Is it something that we'll still be playing? Yeah, you know what? I think it's timeless. I think it's going to last. You think so, hey? I do. Uh, This is the best piece of music ever written, by the way. This is um, Cello Suite Number 1 in G Major, The Prelude, by Bach, written, believe it or not, 300 years ago. And we still listen to it. This is Yo-Yo Ma playing it. You'll hear it on a stage somewhere in the world being performed by one of the world's great orchestras this weekend. Um, that's music that stands the test of time. You know Bach, you know Mozart, uh, Sarah mentions Vivaldi. Um, do we have any right now? Or have we when it comes to what we call popular music? Are there any acts that will be Bach or Mozart? 300 years from now? I don't know, but it's a fun question. And joining us to talk about it, we have Alan Cross, who is the host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Alan, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. This is a thorny subject for a lot of people. It really, really is. Now, okay, we got Bach, we got Mozart. We understand that though that's timeless. It's, all, it's never going away. Um, we still see it being performed every weekend um, and likely will, right? I mean, this is the kind of music we're talking about that just stands the test of time and has for so long. It pretty much has. I mean, this is classical music that has been handed down since, well, we can probably go back as far as the 14th century for, for classical music. And it has been passed down through musicians and orchestras and conductors for, for hundreds of years, uh, mostly through um, written music, yeah. sheet music. Uh, and it will continue to be with us for as long as people realize that there is some value and some pleasure to be taken in, in classical music. Where it gets weird is, okay, uh, if this music has lasted three, four, five, six hundred years, is there anything out today that will have right. a similar lifespan? Now, and that's where it gets weird. Can we look at music, and I mean, any genre, you know, we're talking about the great classics, and can we identify why that music has endured and try and imp- apply that to modern? I mean, is there a reason that music endures while others just sort of come and go? Yeah, first of all, it, it uh, immortality is conferred upon an artist by critics. So if we're in any particular era, if somebody writes that this is worthy, this needs to be preserved, this has timeless beauty, well, then it has a better chance of living on. Now, that music may not necessarily be popular. Uh, let's take the case of a guy by the name of Paul Whitehead. Or, okay. Sorry, Paul Whiteman. Okay. Paul Whiteman was a, was a very big, big band leader in the 1920s and the 1930s. He was everywhere. He was super, super popular, and he was super, super mainstream. So he sold lots of records to lots of people, but because he was so mainstream, he didn't really have the ear of the critics, and they dismissed him as someone lightweight 
somebody who was only appealing to the masses, somebody who wasn't really advancing the cause, the art, the beauty of music. He was just a guy uh, who was there to entertain the masses. So today we don't really hear much about Paul Whiteman, but we hear more about Duke Ellington. We hear more about Robert Johnson. Sure. We hear more about, say, Benny Goodman than um, anything that Paul Whiteman ever did. So uh, the the history is written by the critics. And if these critics don't agree that your music is timeless, well, you're going to get lost. I mean, how many classical music pro- uh, composers are there uh, who we don't ever hear about? I mean, we would have never heard about Antonio Salieri if it hadn't been for that Mozart movie. You're absolutely right. You're 100% correct on that. Um, what about technology? Now, I'm old enough to remember, you know, a time before Walkman's where, you know, uh, and certainly well before this streaming universe we live in now where literally any piece of recorded music ever is available instantly. It wasn't like that not that long ago. And prior to technology existing, it was really hard to hear music in some cases. How does that change how what rises to popularity and lasting, you know, legacy? Well, that's another good question. Uh, one of the things about music in the olden days is that you couldn't capture it. Right. It was either there as it was being performed or it was gone. And it certainly wasn't portable unless you carried an instrument on your back or where you went or, or whistled. That that was the extent of, of portable music back before the, uh, the phonograph and the gramophone. Uh, now, uh, you know, from about the late 1950s forward, we ended up with proper high-fidelity audio. Anything before that, a bit sketchy, some better than others, but certainly before 1950, things were were pretty low fidelity. And uh, unless it has been electronically repurposed to sound better, it, it's... It just doesn't sound good unless you're listening to like like blues records from the 1930s when you have. And they're to supposed have that. to sound like that, right? That scratchy authenticity. Yeah. So uh, technology is one thing. You know, how are we? How is it being preserved? Um, how does it sound as it's being preserved? Is it in some sort of lost format that we can't play back anymore? I'm sure there's some really good music out there that's only available on eight track or we'll never hear again <laughs> because nobody's got a working eight track player. Um, so it, it becomes, you know, down to the part where this music has to sound good in order to last another hundred years or 200 years or 300 years. So that's one of the, um, the things that we have to con- consider when we're looking at today's music in terms of its immortality. Okay. So let's take a look at today's music and see, I mean, I think for some reason, I don't even know why, but I think we all just say, well, Beatles, okay, that's that that one's going to last. For whatever reason, we all seem to agree that, okay, yeah, Beatles are going to be right up there with Bach and Mozart, right? I mean, is that's accepted? I think so, simply because the Beatles are critically lauded, commercially successful, and they've been so well documented uh, since, well, from the very beginning. Yeah. So, yes, I would say that there's going to be a lot of scholarship and documentation uh, that goes with the Beatles for, for many decades, maybe hundreds of years, yes. Yeah, I agree with you. Who else? I mean, other names that come to mind, let me just throw them at you and get your take. Elvis. I don't like Elvis personally, but I know a lot of people do. Yeah, it's interesting with Elvis because he recorded in that period, his his most important music was recorded in the period where we were still coming to terms with high-fidelity recording. So I saw, like, you know, Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel and, you know, all those other big hits from the 1950s. They sound okay. Mm-hmm. They're fine, and, and, you know, they have been rechanneled into stereo. They have been uh, cleaned up so they sound pretty good. That's okay. But one of the problems with Elvis is his legacy isn't very good. After he died, 
he became this this yeah. kitschy pop culture figure that really, in in some cases, uh, has destroyed his appeal for for subsequent generations. Now, that does not take away from the important stuff that he did in the 1950s, but it did it has made him a little harder to to stomach. Uh, yeah, and not of, even not even after he died, Alan. But I mean, even the Vegas Fat Elvis era, right? I mean, that's a bit of a joke. It's a cliche, right? Well, we can even go back to the early 1960s when he came out of the army. He was doing those terrible movies. Yeah, yeah. But you know, so, but he did have a comeback in the 1960s. So that kind of erased some of that other stuff. But so, so with with Elvis, we gotta you know he's such a big part of popular culture. You can't just look at his music and say that is what's going to sustain him over many decades or hundreds of years. Uh, the Elvis fan base has shrunk considerably since what it was. Compare that to the Beatles, which they only seem to be getting bigger with each passing year. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, Okay, another one. Um, Michael Jackson, king of pop. Nobody bigger through the 1980s than Michael Jackson. You want to talk about record sales. This guy, he's still the king, right? Yeah, you know, still the king of pop. A tremendously influential, most popular artist of all time. Um, Again, his legacy has tended to us. But to, by you know by things outside of his music, and the other thing too with with him is that he was a he's a pop star. So all his music is you know pop music is by its nature evanescent and of the moment. Yeah. yeah. So how how well sonically will those songs age over you know multiple decades? Right now they seem to be fine. But you have to listen to the technology that was used, the instrumentation that was used, the 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 um, uh, you know the, the the arrangements that were used. Uh, it may not have as long a life as something that is basic, like guitar, bass, and drums, which is where we come. To so your your pick. You're off the board. I mean, and and I've read the piece, and I know who you're thinking of. And and uh, go ahead and, and give us your case for the the great Chuck Berry. Yeah. Now, this is not an original thought in my head. There was a New York Times article many years ago that that talked about this very subject, and uh, the the, uh, the uh, writer made the um, made the point that because Chuck Berry was there at the beginning, because he was an African American who helped create this amalgam of country blues, rhythm and blues, Western music, and guitar music into this three chord thing. Over a four-four beat with a, a driving chorus, verse chorus um, structure, mm-hmm. that he has became the archetype for countless, countless oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, bands that came after him. So, if we're going to, in the year twenty-five hundred, study the music of the twentieth and twenty-first century, we're inevitably going to be led back to Chuck Berry, much like classical musician scholars are led back to Bach because he was there at the beginning yeah. who came up with these ideas, who uh, codified certain sounds and attitudes. And, and uh, as a result, will be remembered forever. The other thing about Chuck Berry is that in 1977, the Voyager spacecraft took off from Earth. There's two of them, one and two. They're somewhere between 15 and 18 billion miles away on a never-ending journey to somewhere. And on each of those spacecraft is the golden record, which contains sounds of Earth. 
There is exactly one rock and roll song on there, and that's Johnny B. Good <laughs> by Chuck Berry. So if aliens ever run across us, even after our sun has flamed out, the one rock song that will survive <laughs> is Johnny B. Good by Chuck Berry. And I'm okay with that, Alan. I am. I mean, he, like you say, he he's the, he's... If not the creator, he was certainly uh, one of the guys at the very beginning that sort of kicked it into motion. Yeah, and we can debate this a lot. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, I highly recommend, uh, you know, debating this. But uh, once you start going down this rabbit hole, things get kind of weird. <laughs> Alan, we'll do this again. I, unfortunately, I'm out of time now, but uh, there's more to discuss, as you say, and we'll do it another time. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. That is Alan Cross, who is uh, host of the Ongoing History of New Music.